From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you folks. Hi there. Uh, from the beautiful Hill Country, uh, just west of Austin, uh, Dripping Springs, Texas, where our palatial studios are seated. Uh, the seat of power is uh, OneRadioNetwork.com. My name is Patrick Timpone. And uh, we have a couple of shows. So I think I'm going to come on after Fred. And uh, I don't know why. I got a clean shirt on. Might as well do something. We only have one show scheduled, Fred. But then I think I'm going to come back and I'll play around with some ideas I've been thinking about. And if you'd like to think about the real world of money, you've come to the right spot. The first uh, Wednesday of every month, we do the real world of money with Fred Jaszewski of U.S. Coin Capital. Tell you all about his company and how we... Got to know Fred many, many years ago with our introduction to our good friend Andrew Goss and the real world of money. If you care to be on the show, the 809 is working. 888-663-6386. Email Patrick Fred at Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. I almost got my Fred in front of my Patrick. and Hi, Fred. Hi, good morning. Fred Jaszewski, U.S. Coin Capital. Good morning, Patrick. How you doing there, kid? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Welcome to September. I can't believe how fast the months are going by, but here we are. It is September in the rain. Wasn't there a song like that? Fred Jaszewski is the uh, owner and keeper of the of the vision of U.S. Coin Capital. U.S. Coin Capital uh, was a spinoff as after they rebooted from STL that Andrew and uh, you, Fred, started um, how many years ago? Like 30 years ago? Yeah, 30, 35, 30. Oh, yeah, I lost wow. track. Yeah. So then Andy Officially, Lauf- I think I came to Hilton Head in 1991. Uh-huh. Hmm. But SDL had existed before that. So, yeah, the South Carolina office was opened in 1991, and uh, Andy's been gone now. Four years? Uh, like three years. It'll be four years in January, right? It'll be four years in, yeah, end wow. of January. Yeah. Andy left us, that rascal. I he believe. just left this uh, earthly plane, and uh, so here we are. Fred rebooted his company, U.S. Coin Capital, and you guys are busy. You guys are busy. We are. Yeah. <laughs> the the number of transactions uh, has increased dramatically. It's been growing fairly steadily, but there just seems to be a growing concern the last few months. And, and you know, I guess I've been doing this. We were just talking off camera. Mm-hmm. I, I get, we're going on about 35, 36, 37 years. About every year, maybe every other year, around September, October, there's always some pretense for an economic disaster. <laughs> and, you know, there have been a few of them, so it's not as if they're unprecedented. But... And, and unfortunately, I think the premise for why there could be a disaster gets stronger every time these come around. But uh, it, it, it worries people. And uh, a lot of people get, I think, almost panicked. Um, and we do see an awful lot of volume increase around September and October. A lot of times just from a little concern that's going around. And of course, nowadays, it's, it's Internet things that spread really rapidly like wildfire. And, you know, a lot of times there's very little validity and sometimes there's a little truth to it, which gives it just enough credence to make it make sense. But as I've said many, many times before, I, I don't believe in short term market environment events. And I don't think people should, you know, invest with the idea that the world's coming to an end tomorrow. Um, you know, the idea that the dollar is going to become worthless has come up so often. And perhaps we should talk about this because it does come up a lot. People ask me, how would you utilize gold and silver coins in the event of an economic collapse? And I can't, uh, you know, it's, it's odd to me that I get this question so frequently. But as I think about it from a novice standpoint, it makes perfect sense. You know, people are 
thinking about, okay, so we have this paper dollar and, you know, what happens if it implodes? Yeah. You know, how do we buy food? How do we feed our family? How do we pay our bills? Yeah. So, you know, I've always and, suggested that that's an interesting issue. And it's not a terrible time to buy. I mean, gold and silver, I mean, I would argue that they're on sale at eighteen, oh, absolutely. $1,700 on sale right now. and $18 for silver. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Well, so we know that the dollar and the gold and silver prices are inversely related. So whenever the U.S. dollar strengthens against the world's other currencies, it means that gold has become more expensive in foreign terms, foreign currency terms, and cheaper in U.S. dollar terms. So when the dollar strengthens around the world, you know, it's really good if you're a U.S. Um, person who's going overseas, for example, to spend your U.S. dollars, Maybe. you get a lot more bang for your buck. But of course, the inverse is true too. Now, if you're living in Europe, Asia, around the rest of the world, and your currencies are going down in value much more rapidly, uh, it becomes a big problem. And as the money from around the world has been shifting, uh, things have been really bad in the U.S. I mean, we know how bad the inflation rate has been. We know we've had, you know, economic hiccups with supply chain problems, and we've had wage issues, we've had employment problems, we've had stagflation issues, we've had concerns about Fed policies, and with all that going on, we still look better than they do in Europe. Europe, for example, isn't that is amazing? Isn't that amazing that we could be that strong and we're so Looney Tunes? I mean, with what's going on? That's crazy. It is crazy, you know, and, and it becomes, as we've said before, it's like the, you know, the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry right. is the lesser of the evils. So, you know, when Europe is experiencing like a 9% inflation rate, at least here in the United States, we still have spending going on from consumers. You know, consumers are out there buying lots of stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and utilizing the ability to borrow money and, and buying things. So there's economic activity they're not getting that in Europe. So they're getting the 9% inflation with no economic activity. And in China, they're in a recession. I mean, they are having a horrible right. economic yeah. environment. I think they're more affected in Europe and Asia by what's happening in Ukraine than we are here in the U.S. And it's had a big impact on their economies. So by default, all this money is pouring into the United States from outside the U.S., because we seem safer to those investors than their own hmm. internal economic environments. And so that's, that's really adding to this thing called inflation because there's more dollars, Fred, coming in from other places, right? Not only what the Fed has created, but from, other, from every, everywhere else, right? Well, sure, you've yeah. got a lot of money <laughs> pouring into an economy that is you know, not really generating a whole lot of economic growth, although there's activity, but the net result of all that money coming into the U.S. from foreign investors is it strengthens the U.S. dollar relative to these other currencies. So, and, and again, I know it sounds like we're splitting a hair here, but when, it's not as if the U.S. dollar really has gotten stronger for you or me or anybody in America. It's just that it is better to the foreign investors than what they have internally. So they're pouring their money into U.S. treasuries. They're buying U.S. stocks. Hmm. They're buying U.S. bonds. They're buying government issues because, again, even the little interest payments you get on U.S. treasuries these days is better than the negative yields they're getting in Europe and Asia. And those third world countries are even worse off than Asia. So this pouring of money, hmm. you know, it's like uh, I have friends who are fishers, you know, fishermen, and, you know, you use that lure 
to get that fish to come to the hook, right? And the lore here in America is that we're a little bit more stable and we're paying a positive rate of interest on our debt. Even though it's minimal and it doesn't account for the inflation, it's still better than what they're getting domestically. So all this money pouring into the U.S. dollar, have you seen that U.S. dollar index in the uh, last one, week? 110 today. Did it hit 110? Okay. 110 this point. That's nuts. Yeah, I've I, never seen it that high. Have you? No, it was 20 years ago when it was at 108, and I think that was the highest I can recall. And then it went 108.8 the other day, and I didn't quite see 109. But this morning, I had a feeling it would it would probably be up there. So as the dollar strengthens and that index goes higher and higher, it will temporarily depress the price of gold and Tell silver. Tell us what that index means, Fred, because I just look at it as a number. I don't know what it really means. Well, you know, you have to assign sort of a relative value to the strength of the dollar in comparison to, let's say, uh, the Chinese currency, the Japanese yen, the Europe euro, okay. and all the currencies around the world. So we assign this number and say, as that number goes up or down, what we're saying is that this is the evaluation of the dollar's relative strength against the rest of the world's currencies. Mm -hmm. If the number is falling... It means the dollar is getting weaker and the foreign currencies are stronger, which would mean we would get less buying foreign goods with U.S. dollars, but foreigners would get more out of U.S. products because their currency was stronger. Right, right. If it rises, it indicates that the dollar's relative value against these other currencies looks better and is getting stronger. And that's the result we've had this past couple of months from all that money pouring out of Europe, Asia, and the third world coming into America by default. It's raised the dollar index to levels. I mean, I don't remember seeing them this high. So that's why a euro is what is it about a buck five or a buck ten to the dollar today? I don't know if it's quite that high. Is it that high? I, I, don't I think know. it's close to. I think it's closer to parity. Really? Uh, Fred, Fred is with us. If you care to join us, uh, please call triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. Email Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. But it just seems strange if you from the cheap seats here in the bleachers, we're looking at our government, which is about a trillion and a half or so in the red each year, right, over budget. We have, what are our interest payments on the debt? I, I don't know, I haven't seen it lately, but it's probably five, six hundred billion a year going up. Easily. Easily. And going up every time and rates going up. go up. You know. And so, and the Fed is still, I don't know, I think there's what, eight trillion on the Fed's balance sheet that we the people own the Fed, um, and the uh, payroll, real, real, uh, what do you call it, one real spending payroll thing, that's kind of flat, right? Personal savings are down, and also, um, what's the other one? Um, oh, revolving credit is way up. So if we are stronger than everybody else, what's everybody else doing? You know, it's like, right. whoa. I would not want to be outside the U.S. right now trying to survive in some of these countries wow. that are experiencing the economic problems they are because it's going to be very difficult for the average citizen outside the U.S. Uh, as much as people here are struggling, you can imagine how much worse it must be outside the U.S. But envision if you were in Asia or Europe and you had money and you're looking at negative yields coming out of your country, mm -hmm. by default, you're trying to at least survive through this problem and this process over a period of time. And by default, you look at the U.S. and say, well, I could buy U.S. stocks, they, they're still going up, or they look better than, than our country's stocks. Now, 
the U.S. stock market, the volatility has also been horrendous. Yeah, it's points jumping. You know, hundreds and hundreds of points a day, up or down, and the volatility index, you know, was in the high twenties. Uh, again, it indicates that there's an awful lot of uncertainty about the future value of stocks. But even with all that, it, it's hard to envision. But we still look better than the rest of the world, and by default, that money pouring into the U.S. So what it's done is it's driven down the price of gold and silver in U.S. dollar because terms. of the index. And because of the index, the exactly. Index. Yeah. Wow. And so I do believe that you're right. I think gold and silver are effectively on sale in terms of U.S. dollars. Yeah, it, it seems to me. That, and then plus, I guess, people in Japan or China or wherever, at least they can lend uh, the treasury money and treasury bonds and get it, what, 2 or 3%, right? I yes. Think it, that's pretty good if you can't get anything it's in the country where you live. Or you're getting negative yields in the country you negative. live. Yeah, so it certainly looks attractive. Yeah. And that's what's driving the capital here. Now, I, you know, I don't buy that this is going to last very long, but while it exists and while you get this shift of capital happening, uh, it is a little complicated for most people to kind of get this whole thing wrapped around their head. But the net result to understand is that nothing has gotten much better in the U.S. in terms of the value of the dollar. It's just that it has gotten better against the rest of the world's currencies. That's important so to know. if you're right outside now. the U.S., things look a little better here than you know, they do uh, at home. But I think domestically people are still feeling the pinch of inflation. You know, people are experiencing it in real, in real time, you know, in their daily lives. Well, I guess with revolving credit up and savings down, that's what's going on, right, Freddie? They're spending their money and borrowing more money just to, just to get through the day here. So, yeah, we are starting to see some credit problems, too, and that's becoming a little bit concerning. Um, some of the junk bond money that was out there that was loaned, uh, some of that is starting to default. In fact, the larger number of defaults and some of that cheap credit debt that was issued is starting to become a big problem. And I, I think this is at the tip of an iceberg because we're talking about debt defaults happening while the Fed is still raising rates, meaning it's making the borrowing of capital more expensive. And the Fed is still threatening to unwind its balance sheet starting this month. And they're talking about $90 billion a month they're going to try to unwind out of their balance sheet. So I find this Let's talk about that and, weird. and explain to people what that means and, and what this could mean for them if it matters. And I, it's got to, otherwise you wouldn't mention it. So I'm looking at the Fed's balance sheet today. Uh, eight point, essentially $8.8 .8 trillion is on their balance sheet. We the people... Oh, the Fed, God love us, $611 trillion. Whoa, $611 trillion we owe the Fed. I'm sorry, I don't know what that number is. The $611 trillion? That's six. No, I can't be right. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. sorry. I, I misspoke that. Six, six, six trillion. One hundred billion dollars we owe the Fed. Okay, yeah. The numbers get a little crazy. Get we a little crazy. Zero here six there, trillion. You know? What six trillion? It's you know that's not chump change. You yeah. know we owe What's the Fed. What's zero amongst friends, right? <laughs> so I wonder, have you been keeping up with? I'm curious of how much the Fed is still buying. If I look on this balance sheet, can it tell us that? Let's see. Oh yeah, here it is. Yeah, you'll so, probably see purchases. Oh, securities past outright in the last month. Actually, they went down nineteen billion dollars the last month so, so think about this now uh, the, you know the the government is deficit spending as you mentioned it has a hole 
the difference between what it's bringing in in revenue and what it's spending is getting greater and greater. So it constantly needs to sell more bonds to raise the difference between what it's spending and what it's bringing in. Got to. So the government's going to be out there this month, as it is every month, offering these treasuries to foreign investors, to American investors, to hedge fund managers, uh, to everybody, corporate entities, Pension anybody funds. who's willing to put money up. Pension, Pension funds, everybody. Please buy U.S. debt because we need the revenue. Right. Now, simultaneously, the Fed is saying it's going to be selling off $90 billion worth of its own debt back into the open market. Just what I just so, mentioned, and they want to they want to start taking ninety billion off of this almost nine trillion. Right. Going um, forward every month for month. the next whatever year, gonna number of years to? that's gonna take. Who are they gonna sell? Well that's my question is is <laughs> Who how much money to? out there is there to buy not only what the Fed needs to sell to mm-hmm. reduce its balance sheet, but right. what the government's current needs are. Where is all that coming from? You know, the, the Fed buys what we don't sell when government holds a treasury auction, right? We have that unaccounted for amount of money. So, you know, there's that Fed will have an auction, uh, say a treasury holds auction, say, say 100, 100 billion, billion maybe, maybe 80 billion of it is subscribed. So the Fed buys the extra 20 billion and throws it on its balance sheet. And now the government has what it needed mm-hmm. for its short term needs. Right. So now the Fed's added about 20 billion to the balance sheet. But simultaneously if the fed is arguing it's going to raise interest rates to fight off inflation it's going to try to sell off 90 billion dollars a month going forward starting this month out of its huge holding of treasury securities and the government still has to raise revenue for its current needs i wonder how all this works simultaneously without any glitch you don't think it's going to work you don't think it's going to work i don't think it's going to work in fact most of the wall street guys and you know, I put credence into a lot of them because, you know, they're on this every day. They're looking at every little incremental movement. And the conclusion from all of them is that there's no way we pull this off without sending the economy into a recession. So they don't believe walk us through what would happen. So it would be get into recession land, Freddie, if um, if people stop buying the debt, don't want the debt. Is that what causes Well, you're going to have competition for debt, and that means oh, that interest, interest rates, rates are going to go interest up. Interest rates going to go up. Oh, yeah. And that means the borrowing costs are going to have to increase. That means everybody playing the game of buying cheap money and utilizing it to do whatever they've been doing wow. is all over. Wow. That, that's going to come to an end very quickly. And if the competition for debt grows, it gets much more difficult for people to borrow money. The cost is going to increase, and that liquidity availability is not going to be there. Uh, you know, what's, what's given us a little bit of leeway in all this economic nonsense, and, and again, I shouldn't say nonsense. I mean, COVID was not nonsense. It was an economic environment that devastated the U.S. economy. We almost forget that starting in 2020, you know, the U.S. economy took a serious gut punch yeah. when the okay. COVID crisis really shut down a tremendous amount of economic growth. We survived through all this by, well, individually, we got away with it because the government decided to print its way out of the problem and provide stimulus checks to the American public so that people would have liquidity to spend. They figured that if we could at least force feed people cheap money and get them to keep using it, we would have successfully at least moved the economy forward by creating economic activity. Mm. Now, when I look at the results of this now, this is what separated us from, uh, from Europe and Asia. They didn't do the same thing. So we ended up with a weak economy, with high inflation, but at least we have consumer spending. 
they're not getting that in the rest of the world. Because they so didn't do the, they didn't do the liquidity. Stimulus we're going to help you out here during this tough time. They didn't do that. Right. Hmm. They didn't do that because they didn't want to add to the massive amount of debt that that would create. They figured they were thinking a little more long term. We were thinking more short term. We were thinking, stop the public from screaming about the fact that nobody has any money, everybody's out of work, and there's high inflation. Shut them up. You know, put the baby uh, pacifier back in the baby's mouth and keep him quiet for another 20 minutes, and then we'll worry about him screaming later. So hmm. we, we got the public quiet by throwing money at the problem. And, you know, it, it was successful with a massive cost, which was the increase in the amount of debt that we owe now and, and the inflation problem that we created by virtue of doing that. So now... You know, we're going to have to try to address that along with everything else. So not only do we have this COVID slowdown and this economic issue and the crisis going on in the rest of the world and <clears throat> whatever Ukraine is doing to the world's economy, battles with Putin, arguments over whether there's oil supplies or not and how that's all going to play out. It's a mess. The price of oil has been a mess, right? But it's going down. It's going down now this morning, about 84 bucks this morning. Yeah. yeah, and it was about 100, right? WTI oh, yeah. was pushing sure. 100. So so that was the only thing that helped us in the last month or so is that with energy costs coming down, uh, you realize how that filters through the economy, right? It means transportation has gotten cheaper. You know, everything that's related to the cost of, of oil that filters through the economy has had a good effect on tailing off a little bit of the inflation numbers we saw from a month or two ago. But it hasn't solved the problem. And... I think we're experiencing a very interesting situation where the Fed is going to try to manage all this. And it's like a magic it's like a magic formula they're trying to come up with. Like how do you pull off fighting the inflation you created enough to really do something? Because if you don't do enough, it it just doesn't have an impact. You know, if you don't raise rates high enough or fast enough, you can't slow the economic activity down to fight the inflation problem. And if you don't fight the inflation problem, then instead of 9%, it can get up to 10 or 11 or 12. And people were already, you know, I won't say screaming on the streets, but we were getting a hell of a reaction from the public that even the government with food prices, and, you know, Just with food prices alone, right? And everything, yeah. food prices, everything people actually had to deal with in their day-to-day -day lives to the point where the president of the United States came out and said, inflation is now my, my number one issue. This is what I want to address. And... You know, he keeps saying that he solved the problem somehow. I, I haven't seen that yet. But again, you know, we know that governments say what they like to say. Uh, I'm not buying it. But it, it's a very difficult situation for the Fed because they have to try to pull this magic trick off. You know, how do you accomplish being able to slow this massive amount of inflation down? But if you go too far and you cause the economy to slow down too much, you're basically shooting the economy in the foot. You know, you're, yeah, you're stopping it from running too fast, but you've shot it in the foot. You know, you're going to create a problem where we go into a recession because it costs too much to borrow money and you've created a slowdown in the economy. You still have all this inflation filtering through. You still have this debt. You still have the government need of money and the Fed trying to simultaneously unwind its balance sheet. I just don't see how this all plays out smoothly. Hmm. This soft landing, as they're calling it. I, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. And, and um, if you think about, the, so do you think they're going to continue to raise interest rates, the Fed? Yes. Okay, then that is going to put pressure on mortgages, like they're going up, and then credit cards and credit that people are using. So this is going to be even worse for humans, us 
peoples, right? I mean, yeah, how's it going to get better for us? Than people yeah, are ready it? for because I think there's going to be a credit crunch. I don't think there's going to be enough liquidity available if we have all this competition for money. And I think if the Fed is trying to push money back off its balance sheet and the government is trying to raise revenue and we're starting to get default problems on this um, uh, this weak, cheap debt, right? So, you know, the, the kind of the junk bond of the current year is a, something equivalent to what the junk bonds were in the 90s. So in the, in the 90s, we had junk bonds, which basically were where you take a company that has really good credit and that company says, I will issue a bond against our company profits right. in the future. That's a reasonable debt instrument. If you had a company that wasn't making a lot of money but needed to raise revenue, they might offer debt as well, and they would pay a lot higher interest because there was a lot more risk because their company wasn't doing very well. And there's a lot of this junk debt that was issued in the last couple of years. It's now going into default because a lot of those guys that issued the debt can't make the payments. They're having a real hard time because the economy has slowed down so much that they didn't generate the profits they hoped to. So now these debt instruments are kind of falling apart. And I think this is going to put a squeeze on the credit markets. And I think that's going to make it more expensive for people to borrow money, regardless of the Fed raising rates, which is just going to exacerbate that so, problem. So that means even places like people go uh, Gap or whatever, get a card and buy, buy clothes and get those rates all go up too, right? They all go yes. up. Yes. Yeah. Everything is going to filter through the banking system and raise and go up. So I think interest rates are going to go up. I think the cost of borrowing money is going to go up. Hmm. Uh, again, I mentioned this probably at least six months ago, if not earlier, that I had a concern that once the rate cycle reversed from going down and started to go up, that it would create a problem in the stock market. Because I believed, and it's turned out that this has been the case, most of the growth in stocks up to the last couple of years uh, has come from these companies being able to borrow money at almost zero and then utilizing that money to buy their own stock and raising the price. You've said that for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. yeah, and I've been really worried that, yeah. that this was going to come to an end when they couldn't play that game anymore. And if you've noticed what's happened now that we hit earnings season, uh, as each quarter has ended, some of the stocks have been hammered. Hmm. I mean, the significant difference between their values today and a year or two ago, they're overwhelming because the valuations were way too high because they've been artificially propped up by the cheap money. Because of all this cheap money going in, right? Yeah, yeah. And now that that's come to an end, companies have had to report earnings and actually show that, you know, that it's reasonable for their stock valuations to be where they are. And if they can't meet those expectations, the market is crushing them. So what do you make, though, of, of all this um, um, need for employees? Everybody and their brother is looking for people to, to go to work for them. Sure. What, what well, are all these people now, doing? Where, how are they living that aren't working? <laughs> well, remember, COVID had basically shut the economy down. Right. So a lot of people were out uh, you know, completely. And as businesses started up, people were sitting home getting stimulus checks. It was kind of hard to get them to get their asses off the couch and go back to work. I remember. A couple years you know, ago, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, what your choice was, I could sit at home and get a check from the government for doing nothing. Or I could go back to work and actually end up making less money than that check that comes in every month. What's my motivation? So a lot of places were struggling to try to get employees. And now that the mortgage rates were going up and interest rates were going up and financing costs were going up, people started saying, not only do I 
hesitate to go back to work. But if I do come back to work, I need more money. I need a wage increase. Hmm. So now the corporations are faced with a big problem. You know, how do I get you to come back to work? And how much more do I have to pay you to make it worth your while to do so? So, Or I want to do it from home, too, right? I want to do it from home. I don't want to come in. That's going on, too, right? Yeah, people have gotten used to that. You know, I mean, there's a whole economic shift now where I I don't know what the numbers are, but uh, I know there are a couple of economists who look at it. How many people are never going to end up going back to an actual office environment anymore? Hmm. A lot of companies have just said, yeah, hey, listen, it's, it's easier for us to leave people at home. They can work through Zoom and all those other medium places, and and, uh, we don't need them to physically come back. So it's been a problem to try to get employers and employees working together again and getting that that market moving. So, yeah, that's a big part of the economic problem. Here's an email from Alan. She says, is it safer to have at least some of one's banking money in the local credit union? If so, why is it safer? Well, the thought process is is that Credits are local. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you're fundamentally working with people in your neighborhood. And, um, you know, you hope that there's that neighborly impact of people looking out for each other. And, you know, the money is local, so you can have a clearer idea of the nature of what's happening. The thought is, is that if you're in the general banking system, then you're subject to the broader environment of change and problem. So if the U.S. entire banking industry is facing an issue... Uh, it's going to affect every bank right down the line. And if the big banks are having huge problems, that filters down and the little banks are experiencing trouble and liquidity issues, et cetera. So a lot of people like credit unions because it's it's a lot more local. You know, you feel like you're dealing with people on a kind of a more person to person scale. And then the thought process is, is that the credit unions are somewhat separated from the banking institutions. And again, this helps people with that fear you know, there are a lot of people that are, how shall I put it, uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the banking industry yeah. to the point where they just don't feel as if that's the place they want to store their wealth. I mean, more and more people are feeling that way every day, that they just don't feel comfortable the way they would have 10 years ago. By default, you know, if you had money and you're in a weird economy, the old days, you just left it in the bank. You know, and you waited for things to smooth out, you know, took whatever interest payments they would give you and say, okay, I'm secure. It's in a bank. It's going to be there. It's paying me a little bit of interest and I'll wait. And then when things settle out and I can figure out where to park my money next, then I'll start moving it around. As the stock market gets more volatile, people are liquidating positions and building up cash reserves. And normally they just let it sit in those banking institutions you know, until such time as they felt comfortable spending it. But now you got a lot of people that are second guessing the entire banking system. And every day I talk to people who, for one reason or another, have reached the conclusion that the banking system is, you know, is problematic enough to where that's not comfortable for them anymore. That's just not the secure, safe haven that we mentally were, were taught that it was as the place to store your wealth. So what do, what do people are you? Is that why more people are getting into gold, too, and silver and stuff? And what I'm you convinced do? that's why they're doing yeah. it. I think they're looking at hmm. the reality of saying, you know, I would rather have physical gold and silver in my possession and let my money ride in that form over the next, let's say, five years or ten years than I feel in leaving it within the banking institutions. Now, 
I want to be very clear about this. I have never been of the belief that the entire banking industry and the U.S. dollar is going to default and become completely worthless. And that brings me back to what I said at the very beginning, which is people have asked, how is this useful, owning these gold and silver coins? You know, are we going to take a, a handful of quarters that are silver, go down to a local supermarket, and expect that we're going to negotiate with a supermarket to buy food? I, you know, I really find that problematic because if it got that bad to where the supermarket wouldn't accept paper money, that means that simultaneously everybody that has money is going to rush out of it. They're all going to run to their banks, try to get their money out and convert it into some other form because the paper is becoming worthless. I just don't understand how that mechanism would function. I think we would just have complete anarchy. I mean, we wouldn't even have food on the shelves right. because the... You know, the supermarkets themselves use dollars to buy food and to get supplies, and they come from across the world. So well, I don't believe this premise of the implosion to zero of the U.S. dollar. I, and I think, you know, and Andy said it very often that it's never going to become worthless unless they run out of zeros. And I think that's the argument that the Fed, with their ability, Fred, to create whatever they want and play with things, they would just keep it going somehow. If they gotta just Absolutely. if they gotta just do the old Ben Bernanke helicopter money and drop it out of helicopters, they would rather than have people running naked in the streets. You know they would, right? Come on. I think so. And yeah. I mean, isn't that what the stimulus checks were? For Wasn't sure. that effectively the Ben Bernanke? Sure. Right. It was helicopter you know? money. That's all it was. That was it. They just basically <laughs> took that helicopter and said, "Hey, we'll we'll put that you know That's across right. the entire country, and we'll just start going everywhere and throwing checks at everybody's it was a mailbox." Lot, so. It was a lot neater because they just put it into your bank account, a little plastic card. Yeah. That was pretty. I think I got six hundred dollars or something. I don't even remember what it was, but we all got a little. Did it? Did you get some? Uh, I don't don't think I got anything. What's what do you mean you that. didn't get anything? You didn't call me and say, "Where's my money?" <laughs> no. I think I got six hundred bucks, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Our little car. A lot of people took out took out these, you know, these PPT loans and, oh, and didn't man. have to repay them, and you know, there there are stories every There's about. There's a mess with that, isn't millions it? Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Millions. And then think about think about the fraud. Just think about the volume of fraud that occurred. I mean, billions. the government can't run the tax system without massive fraud. This thing was out of control. There's I mean, billions. I know the estimates are in the billions, but I don't. I know the numbers monsters. Yeah, yeah. There are people, you know, it's, as you say, you know, the Fed, Fed has a hard time with, with anything, much less doing this kind of a thing. Here's a pretty cool thing I wanted to mention. I don't know if you've seen this, but I saw an article this morning. It's called Executive Order 14067. And this was uh, written in March 9, uh, 2022, six months ago, 180 days ago, two, tomorrow. And I read the executive order, and Fred, this whole thing lays out an entire reason why and how they're going to do central bank digital currency. Did you know that? Yeah, they've been exploring this now for a bit. Now, they're a long way off from actually well, getting I don't it done. know, though. They Wait are. a minute. Because it says in 14067, I read this morning, uh, that they have 180 days to come up with a plan. So you may be right. The plan. The plan. So they got to come up with a plan tomorrow. But then it says 20 days after that, they have to have a bill for Congress. Okay, so here's how this is going to work. Okay. First, they have to come up with a plan. Which is uh, tomorrow. They have to They're come up with a mechanism to. to make this work. Now, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be a massive no, change. Be a, yeah. 
right? We're overhauling the entire economic environment by the way that we're going to move money around. This is going to be a completely new venue, and we're going to somehow be able to create this and make it safe, make it viable, make it cheat proof, fix all the potential problems that it might have, and then come up with a plan that we're going to offer to Congress and then get them to approve this, and that's going to happen in 120 days plus the 20 days to review. I, I don't buy it. You buy it. Yeah, well, I probably not. I of course not. Yeah. But that's what it says in the thing. Anyway, 180 I plus get it. 20. I get it. Yeah, but it's not going to happen. And again, this is a jump start. They have to start somewhere. So uh, the Fed chairman has talked about this, and again, he's yeah. been pretty clear that uh, they accept the notion that it seems likely that they will move in that direction, and I think inevitably that'll happen. You know, the same way that we've moved into more credit card usage and, you know, I mean, think about how things like Apple Pay and PayPal, you know, those things didn't exist a decade ago and they're becoming much more popular and used a lot more frequently. And, you know, even the cryptocurrency things, you know, which I've never been a huge fan of, but I understand the nature of that, too. And look at how those things have evolved and they're still evolving. I'm going to say five to ten years before we ever actually have a digital currency in the United really? States. Really? You think it's going to be that long? Yep. Yep. What are we going to be doing in the meantime? I mean, this whole thing is broken. How can we last another five years? That's really what we're doing. I mean, we're just <laughs> going to keep printing the crap out of money. Uh, <laughs> but then won't we just keep having uh, uh, price inflation if we keep doing that? Yes. Well, that's Absolutely. not good. No, it's not, but I don't see any way out of it. Well, no. People think that, you know, and I don't want people to misunderstand. No, I understand. A digital currency doesn't solve any problems. No, it just changes it, right, to a digital... That's all. It just changes the way the money is looks for for all intents and purposes and how yeah. easily it will be for them to transfer funds. That's going to be the big deal, about, right, Fred? <laughs> Excuse me. That's going to be the big deal, how easy it's going to be, you know. yes. But I also think, and I'm, you know, always slightly conspiracy-minded to believe that the government, you know, isn't doing this just for the uh, altruistic benefit of the public because they deem that there's a problem. Well, I'm shocked. I think this that also you allows think them that. to think, <laughs> right? You know, they want control, and of course, we understand that if huh. we all go to a digital system, that means privacy is absolutely done. Done. There is no more private transaction. You know, there's no more meeting a guy in a, a parking lot with a, you know, with a briefcase full of money and handing it over and doing a transaction for Those goods and services. Those days are over, right? Those days are over. Yeah, but you and you then must we have end up with social engineering. You must have. Uh, I don't know. Let's say there's forty trillion in the money supply. Just a guess. I don't know what it is, but if five percent of that is paper, say five times fours, say so there's ten trillion in paper, right? Just back of the envelope here, 10 trillion in paper, paper. How, how would you even get that out of the system if you went to a digital thing? I mean, how would you suck that out of the system? Maybe oh, put this an is where it gets fun. Yeah, this is where you put right. an expiration okay. date on the dollars or something? Well, you do that, or you have to do what they did in 1933 when they wanted to get people to stop using oh, gold for money. You gotta bring it in. They right? just went ahead and outlawed it. Whoa. <laughs> you know, so they'll, for example, if, if they wanted to, there's nothing to stop the government from saying, okay, as of this date in 2025, that paper that you're holding, oh, worthless. People do you realize what that would do? Do you have any idea what that would do to the economy? What would it do? I mean, think about the 
billions and billions and hundreds of billions of untapped dollars, unreported money, stash piles of cash all over the world. Oh, and, and that, mattresses you know, and such, right? You're talking about. Everywhere, all over the world that would suddenly have to be converted. It would, it would remind me of the days <laughs> of uh, like the Korean War where they would change the military script. Yeah. And they would announce that, let's say, by Wednesday, any military script you're holding is worth zero. You have to come into the table and switch it for the new currency. And if you didn't make it on time, you're beat. That oh, stuff's worth That must have been fun times. Oh, man. Well, you know, when you're in the military, you had no choice. I mean, you know, you're out in a foreign country and you're being paid in the script and they're telling you that you have to switch it every once in a while. So can you envision what it would be like if the world is suddenly being told that all of this paper floating around everywhere has got to be converted by a particular date i i you know wow that's so, going to be something so i guess big picture the idea that if they would convert the dollar over to a digital thing and everybody's on digital and they know what everybody's doing and then but nobody could keep track of the dollars but we can't even now right they took down those charts right. years ago so this is their plan, you think, that they, they, they think they can just hold the whole thing together like this rather than using the dollar the way it is well, now? you know, I won't go as far as saying it may, it may or may not be their plan per se, but I think it's a, let's say it's a byproduct that they're not objected to. Right. They, they're okay with the idea that, you know, if for other economic reasons it's deemed necessary to convert to digital currency, they are okay with the idea that that also by default would allow them to then have control over every economic, you know, activity that occurs, mm -hmm. right? No more mm -hmm. privacy. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I worry about social engineering as a net result of that. It seems like, you know, it's a perfect plan for the big brother mentality to come in and start saying, you know, we've joked about it that, you know, they block your credit card from buying the pizza because they've looked at your medical records your and said, no, But that's not a stretch if you really think about it, though, right? I mean, they it's could, not. They could do and that. That's what bothers but, me. But it, I think your point about a long time is well taken because imagine what it would take for, I don't know, if you work at Starbucks and they have to pay you with a CB central bank digital currency rather than a dollar and how they would do that into your bank i mean that would be a right. huge thing has to change that the would be like have to huge right all the banking institution programs have to change That's the way the money happen. is paid out has to change um you know all Anytime those laws soon. have to be rewritten there's a lot involved here this is not going to be you know simply saying okay we think this is a good idea, so we're going to go ahead and switch to digital currency. I'm telling you, yeah, I, I think I you're right. Yeah. I, I think so. Anything, so this this thing, as much as an interesting story as it is, and they, they use these terms, I think your point is well taken. Where this is just the, the first shot. Okay, let's get I think this it's thing. It's going to be an evolving thing. Let's get you know, this we'll thing going. Yeah, let's get this little thing. by little. There'll be subtle changes and maybe small, you know, small incremental changes to kind of get there. Uh, they'll probably lock out certain things first. You know, maybe, for example, they'll say, hmm. okay, you hold treasuries from now on. If you get paid for your treasury, instead of getting a check, we're going to give you a digital money in, in exchange. You know, in other words, they'll start with something that will be easy for them to control. And then little by little, they'll filter that down to the everyday usage. But for me, I just see the mechanism of trying to convert an average person to get them to understand this because again the public has to go along with this they have to recognize how it works they have to understand how it works otherwise you're going to get a lot of you know what happens to a lot of older people who can barely manage an email you can oh, tell I understand. them that from I now mean, on they can't pull out a 
right? They can't take a $20 bill out of their pocket to pay the guy, uh, the taxi driver. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of problems getting a public adjusted to a complete digital world. And I just don't see it happening rapidly. Yeah. I understand why people think it's going to happen. And I'm not disputing that. I think we're heading that way. I just don't think that, you know, you tell me 120 days and 20, no, nah, I'm not buying it. No, yeah, I, I agree. The, the more I thought about it, the more I said, no, no, it's not, nothing's going to happen anytime soon. It just can't. It just can't. I mean, even the gold standard, which was a right. very straightforward thing, took a, you know, huge amount of federal push and a huge federal law and it took hold but again you had a fundamental change there that was a little bit easier to understand because fundamentally people could still conduct commerce the way they were used to it's just that the basis for the money they were using was being changed underneath but that was nothing you know that affected their usage of the capital they still took twenty dollar bills down and spent them the only difference was what that twenty dollar bill represented had been altered, mm. uh, and Fred, I think therein lies the, big, the biggest problem. If we never went off that gold standard, they would never be able to start pushing for digital currencies. Uh, they Fred, would never be Fred running with this. Like this. Fred, let's uh, talk a little bit about your company here before we move forward. And uh, this is U.S. Coin Capital. So you do this for a living because long ago you and Andrew Goss. <laughs> decided that it might be a good idea because you guys studied the monetary history that people would want to own gold and silver coins, right? This is what you did. Yeah, I kind of looked at the market and I I became fascinated um, really early at the idea that, first of all, why that standard of gold and silver that had been represented forever in the U.S., I mean, going all the way back to the Constitution, why that had suddenly changed, and then secondly, the idea that they could never make any more of these gold or silver coins that have been minted as currency struck me as rather intriguing that we have a market that is absolutely locked down. The supply can never grow. It's fixed and absolutely locked down forever. So that over time, if the demand should increase for that product, the price has to go up. Conversely, you know, we're able to print more and more paper money without any constraint you put those two dynamics together, uh, I foresaw a great opportunity for investors and for a great market Mm. in physical gold and silver coins. But the more I researched the thought process that went into it from the founding fathers, I mean, the debate that went on in the early days before we even became a country, and as we moved forward to separate from England and finally said, we've had enough of the British Parliament, we're separating, now we have to convince all these individual, uh, they weren't quite states yet, the colonies, join together, form a new country, say we're going to separate from the greatest power on earth, which was Great Britain, start our own country, and create our own monetary policy and our own government. The biggest concern they had was the monetary system. I mean, it was ranking right up there with what kind of government we should have. Should we have a king? You know, we decided, no, we don't want a king. We're going to have a president who's going to have powers like a king, but also subject to having to respond to other other um, branches of government so that the public was still effectively in control, a government of the people, not by a sovereign king. But the concern about money was absolutely at the forefront. And after serious consideration, the conclusion was, you know, don't trust in the good faith of, of men, buying them by the 
by the by the Constitution. So they foresaw potential economic problems coming from a monetary system that could be influenced by politicians or bankers. And their solution was you create an unbreakable system, make the money real, not subject to change by somebody else's whim. And that was where the gold and silver came in and specifying quantities of gold and silver, making that the legal currency and specifying that no state shall make anything but gold and silver or tender for payment in debt, putting it in Article 1 of the Constitution of the United States, making it crystal clear this part of the problem is going to be hmm. completely settled by this standard of gold and silver. And, you know, I still remember, you know, in the 70s when that standard came off, I was really surprised that the public went for it. You know, I had a hard time understanding as a kid why we allowed in the 30s the recall of gold, but I realized we were coming out of the Great Depression and we were offered a solution to say, okay, you know, we've been in this horrible depression for years and it can be solved one simple change. And that is don't allow the public to redeem paper money for gold and silver anymore. Maintain that standard, but just don't allow the public to have it replenish the vaults of gold and silver that have been depleted by the Fed, greedily taking all the paper money that was gold-backed and redeeming it for the gold, depleting the treasury vaults, getting that gold replenished by asking the public to turn over its own gold, and then starting a monetary system that had gold backing but disallowed the, the conversion of that paper into physical gold. Hmm. And now here we are in 2022 and we're looking at an economy that is so far in debt that the interest payments on the debt are now bigger than the debt used to be. And it's amazing that we've gotten this far. And, you know, what it does is it simply changes the day-to-day -day cost of goods and services to the point where, you know, we reflect on the days of grandpa telling us about the candy bar for a nickel and, you know, working for $5 a day and the kinds of things that were sort of normal. You know, where one person in a family of four with an average wage could buy a car, a house, take the family on vacation once or twice a year, and have a retirement account for their savings when they got old. And now it takes two, two and a half people's incomes to do the same thing. And this is a massive result of changing the nature of money. It's why the standard of gold and silver was so critical. And it's why I still believe today that it is the safest method for people looking, let's say, five years from now, out down the road, where to park capital that they're holding today. I just don't believe there is any way at all that a paper dollar in today's world, five years from now, could possibly buy the same amount of goods and services. I just don't see how it's even possible. Hmm. Well, that's a well done. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice way you presented that. So you guys are U.S. Coin Capital, and it is uh, 800-878-2646. And you're, you're able to work with people regardless of where they are financially, right, Fred, or what they're, and you can take the time and talk to them about what their, what their goals are and what they want to do and how much they want to play with there and um, stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Right? You know, I remember we, we first started with this concept that, you know, it wasn't only about the product that we were going to provide, but the, it was the educational side of it. You know, we had hoped that we could achieve, uh, you know, kind of critical mass, if you will, a point at which 
enough people understood the nature of money and recognized the flaw with having a private banking institution like the Federal Reserve acting behind the scenes, altering the value of people's wealth without their control, we figured that if we could get enough people to see that problem, perhaps there would be enough of a public uprising and that would filter through the congressmen and their representatives that we could go then to Congress and say, let's get rid of this Federal Reserve system. Let's go back to some sort of standard. Let's stop the insanity, as they used to say, and move forward. Unfortunately, we did realize as the decades continued to pass, that was a really an unrealistic expectation that that was going to make any change. Mm. We just aren't going to get the public to rise up in mass and you know go to Congress and say, hey, you know, we're not happy it's with not the system. Happen. It needs yeah. to be changed. So we reached the conclusion that it became kind of an individual's personal responsibility to take care of their own money. And I believe that is the case. So I've always suggested that, you know, people have an obligation to understand the nature of the money of their country. They need to recognize what's good about it, what's bad about it. Money is perfectly useful in paper for short-term, you know, spending, and everybody needs to have some cash. But I think the money that people are setting aside for their future that's what they need to look at. That is the money that needs to be mm. in some form of tangible, you know, something they have possession of, that they own. They're not including some third party to be involved in its representation of value. Something they own and control, and it's theirs, 100% outright. And that is the best way to store wealth going forward. And it has turned out to be the case. We look at you know, where the minimum wage in 1964, when silver came off the change, was basically five silver quarters. That was an hourly wage, a buck and a quarter. And those five silver quarters today, about six bucks a piece, gives you about a $30 an hour average mm. annual, uh, you know, hourly wage. Interesting. People could survive quite well on that today. Interesting. Yeah, and the same way with gas, right? And, and the classic. I love the classic one. What uh, a $20 gold piece will get a a really uh, fine suit back in the, the 1850s, right? And it will sure, today. Sure, a tailored man suit. Yeah, it will today. Well, think about it this way. $100 in 1933 was five ounces of gold. Hmm, wow. Five ounces of gold today, at, you know, $1,700 an ounce, right? Think about that. Yeah. So there's the difference in what's happened to the value of money over time. And this is something the public has no control over. This is exactly what the founding fathers were trying to prevent. Yeah. They didn't want money to be influenced by politics or bankers. Which is exactly and what we happened. we lost the battle. You know, <laughs> we kind of lost the battle. So, but you, you've also wanted to uh, constantly be real clear on the idea that you don't want people to call you and buy some gold and silver coins thinking that, well, if gold and silver goes up in a couple years, I'll just sell and make some money. That's really not what you're about. I mean, people can do that, of course. They're free to do what they want, but that's not what you want to encourage. Well, that's okay. You know, uh, yeah, you know, I look at it a little longer term only because I think this is about wealth protection. Yeah. Uh, it does turn out that in a lot of cases, coins have gone up enough in value to where people are able to sell these for profit, sometimes in a matter of months, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And it's not a perfect market. You know, there are times where the environments have changed and there's shifts in demand. And, you know, there are actually some, some rare coins that have gone up, some that have gone down in value. Just like every market, there have been, you know, things that have not worked out as well as we would have hoped. But the end result for most people has been this is a far safer play than paper money, which is subject to such a rapid change now. 
And I think it's about diversifying because what we've experienced since about the 1980s has been when there have been economic environments that have been difficult. You know, when things are going well, you know, you don't need to pay attention to this stuff as much. It's sort of like when there's low crime, nobody's, nobody's worried about how many police officers are on the street. But if suddenly a neighborhood is experiencing a lot of high crime, everybody's screaming for, we need more cops on the street. And when it looks, when it comes to money, it's the same thing. If things are working well and there's very low inflation and people can put a dollar away and pull it out in five years and get about the same amount of goods and services from it, it's not a big deal. But when things are not working well, like when the government is spending money like crazy or printing money to solve economic problems or the debt has climbed to these ridiculous levels to where the interest payments are choking the government, we don't have that anymore, that, that safety anymore. We have to look for a better method. And nothing has stood the test of time better than gold and silver. Nothing. They've been around for six, 7,000 years as a method of storing money for very good reason. And again, I see the use of this not necessarily directly taking a quarter and buying food, but being able to convert that into spendable forms of money that will buy more than the money will buy today, especially if that money is left in paper. Mm-hmm. Paper is just being devalued very rapidly right now. Yeah. Well, it just makes sense, you know. It just makes sense. And it's 800-878-2646. You can call Fred and Dinah and... Uh, and any one of the staff and Roger and some others are there, and uh, they'll take good care of you. 800-878-2646. Fred, before we uh, all get out of here, let's um, just talk a little bit about some other things. I, You know, the, the basis, as you know and have taught us, and Andrew taught us, that the basis that the, the dollar was being able to be used a lot and uh, that they'd always have need for more dollars was this, this petrodollar thing, right? Where in Brenton mm-hmm. Woods they convinced the Saudis and you know the Kissinger story, and um, where any oil had to be sold for dollars, right? That's the deal, and that was made a constant draw on the dollar, which was one of the things that precipitated the idea that that the United States or whoever's running the dollar could always print more because everybody always sure. needed more dollars because everybody needed oil. Pretty, needed oil. Pretty so clever. People have asked that a lot. Pretty you know, clever. Why right? is it that the U.S. dollar has survived well? And and the reason is we did force feed the need for foreign currency uh, exchanges and foreign banks to hold stockpiles of U.S. dollars. You know, by making it only possible to buy oil in U.S. dollars or gold in U.S. dollars or other commodities, we forced these foreign central banks to stockpile U.S. currency. And that created a perpetual demand. And that's one of the reasons why the U.S. is able to get away with some of the shenanigans it pulls off, because these foreign countries still, whether they like it or not, are kind of forced to have to stockpile U.S. dollars, and it creates demand. You know, for example, you know, here's an extreme example. Argentina right now has got 60% annual inflation. How many? Think about that. 60%. Wow. Six zero. And that's because no one cares about the Argentine peso. No one wants to hold that in reserve. You know, there's no reason to. You don't have to have that to buy goods and services. So what's the demand? The demand only exists if you're a speculator and believe that it may be more valuable in the future than it is today. 
But if they're bleeding money as a country and their government can't sustain their debt and constantly revaluing their currency because they're borrowing money from major investment banks around the world, you know, all the New York bankers that are loaning money directly to these foreign countries to help them survive, they constantly revalue these loans, they, they do them over and over again. So their currencies are imploding and become so substantially weaker each year that you've got a, a, a horrible debt problem and a lot of poverty. The U.S. has not experienced that because as a world power, we are the largest economy in the world and we force fed the dollar to these foreign countries so that they have to stockpile dollars, whether they like it or not. And that demand helps create an environment that allows the dollar to sustain the rapid inflation and economic problems that otherwise you'd look mm -hmm. at the U.S. and say, well, hell, this does not look good. Yeah. You don't look like a country I want to invest in. You're 31 trillion in debt. Your interest payments are choking you. You're spending money like a drunken sailor. Every time you have an economic crisis, you print your way out of it. There's no end in sight to this. And you're now talking about the Fed, which has accumulated $9 trillion worth of debt instruments, trying to push that back into the economy. So the U.S. does not look particularly attractive, except people have to have dollars. So that's how but, we survive. But that is slowly ending, right? I mean... Um, I, there was a day when you just thought about selling your oil for dollars, Gaddafi, Hussein, and they would invade you and kill you. I mean, that, that was that yeah, big. You know. But now, Russia, China, Iran, India, they're all doing whatever they want to do. Uh, Russia, Gazprom even now, Russian gas shipments in rubles and yuan instead of dollars. Oil, Putin, in, oil instead of... So they're, they're chipping away. Oh, yeah, but, they uh, are. I... Yeah. I think that the U.S. will stand strong and do whatever it has to do to protect the dollar. Uh, I, and I do believe that that means whatever is necessary. Um, and that means whatever <laughs> that is necessary. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't no, sound good. I, I just don't think they're going to slowly sit back and watch somebody poke the bear and, and not but eventually. But if Freddie, they're doing it now, what do you mean? Do you think there'll be a time when they say wait a minute you guys can't sell your your oil for rubles i mean putin's selling his oil for anything but dollars sure well you know putin is in an unusual circumstance right now and again it's a current geopolitical situation that may or may not you know last very long we'll see uh but i just don't think that they will stand when i say they i mean you know we call them the boys. the boys i don't think they'll stand for anything that seriously begins to threaten the u.s dollars status hmm. i do believe they will take whatever action is necessary and that includes war to and they'll come up with a different pretense well, of course you know they, they won't come out and say we're, we're doing this to make the dollar strong or to prevent somebody from threatening the dollars world's reserve status but that's what they'll do. I, I, I just am convinced historically, hmm. uh, you know, you mentioned Gaddafi and others. And, and, and every time there's been a threat to the U.S. dollar one way or the other, suddenly there's They've a always been there. They've always been there, right? Liberation yeah. in the war. Or, yeah. yeah. So I think that'll be the case going forward. So you don't, you we'll don't, you don't think they're going to let them get away with it? I mean, China, Russia, nope. Iran, India, these guys. <clears throat> nope. Wow. Nope. They'll, come up, they'll, break, they'll get to a breaking point. And if it gets to a breaking point, and I don't know how they decide what that is, what that is yeah. but you know, the guys behind the scenes will finally say, okay, enough's enough, and that's it. You know, we're going to push back. I just don't think they're going to roll over hmm. and let it 
what had happened. I, I don't foresee that, but you know, again, predicting the future is is not uh, <laughs> you know a perfect perfect process. <laughs> it's uh, and, and then if you if you stage it properly, I guess war can be good for business and. You know, just like World War Two was uh, right? seriously profitable sure. for yeah. you know people on the inside. Yeah, I mean, sure. God, I mean, Halliburton made billions and billions of dollars in the war since the nineties. I mean, it was un- unprecedented mm. how much money they made. And you know, again, uh, I've looked into that and, and Dick Cheney, and oh my God, those years where those guys just basically ran the world on war. Yeah, and did. made ungodly amounts of money. And talk about gaffed. And theft and shenanigans my god the payments you know the billions of dollars that went in airplanes that you know were supposed to go out to you know iraq and iran it disappeared and you know suddenly there's a plane full with billion dollars in u.s cash it's just uh, well it's gone yeah. we don't know what happened but oops we put a video on our front page uh, about because 9-11's coming up you know the anniversary and it's pretty it's very well done for the james corbett uh, corbett the Corbett report about the money in 9-11. And boy, there were some shenanigans Freddie going on there that he digs into some stuff that, and that includes about $8 trillion, you know, with the Rumsfeld and the, and the Pentagon and that they never found. To this day, $8 trillion. Yeah. Just, how is just that even gone. possible? How I, is that possible? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, a plane that? full of a billion dollars is hard enough to fathom, but, but trillions? Trillions? Thing, you know, it's insane. They've never accounted so, for them, yeah. You know, again, all these shenanigans uh, will continue. You know, one day we might find out what the truth was and what really happened. But I've become convinced of a couple of things. One is we're never going to have a government that's going to tell us the truth. You know, I do believe, I forget who it was who said it. I got to look up the quote. But uh, it goes back to, I want to say it was the 1960s. But uh, the quote is, all governments lie. And, and it's the truth. I mean, it's been historically proven. There is yet to be a government ever on earth that hasn't lied to its public. So we know we're not getting the truth. And the problem is we have to sort of filter through all the bull and try to see if we can pull out enough information to be able to figure out what to do. And the one thing I'm certain of is that with the lack of information that we have, we do know enough to know that there is a flaw in the current process. And that flaw resides in the changing value of paper money and that's not going to go away so that's the inevitable i think the one standard that we can count on the sun will come up tomorrow Hmm. a paper dollar will buy less in the future and i think people should own gold and silver coins as a counterbalance (laughs) and that's your that's your position you're sticking to it i don't blame you It, uh, it makes perfect sense when you understand it okay kiddo um have fun you're gonna go to the phones and see what's going on yeah we got a lot of work to do uh we've got you know, piles of phone calls piling up and uh, lots of people calling up every day with whatever they can scrape together. Um, I have some uh, additional gold coins that we just got. I was buying pretty heavily this past week because of the dip in gold. Okay. As we talked about this dollar going up to 110 on that index, an unprecedented high dollar, which I do again believe will be a temporary environment. It has conversely driven gold down a little bit to create a kind of, you know, gold and silver on sale environment. So I bought a group of $20 gold pieces, uh, particularly the MS64 gray, which I think are really undervalued, and a group of silver dollars, Morgan dollars, minted between 1878 and 1921. 
I'm skipping the date of 21 because it's the most common date. So they're pre-21, if you will. I've got Min State 64 Morgan dollars. Uh, we're selling them in blocks of 10. They are $125 a coin. And then I have $20 gold pieces in Min State 64. That's the one ounce most beautiful gold coin minted in the world, made up through 1933. MS 64 is available for 2500. Is that a, is that a I, Saint Gardens 2500? That's a Saint Gardens. Okay. Uh, and again, I think they're a really undervalued market price. When I look at the price of gold, you know, if you bought any ounce of gold, you're going to pay almost two thousand dollars for anything these days. Uh, so for twenty five hundred dollars to get a mint condition professionally graded and certified sealed in an ngc's tamper proof holder hand selected through our company for the aesthetic quality even within the grade and at twenty five hundred dollars a coin i think they represent a great value and a great way for people to store money you know a box of those which is 20 coins in one of those ngc boxes it's about fifty thousand dollars it's a simple you know box that's about 10 inches long and Two and a half inches wide and wow, three inches tall. So, you, oh, you get you 20 in those. those. So, you just go 20 times 250, right? 2,500. 2,500. Right. So, you can get, you, you don't have to buy a whole box, but you can buy one or two or whatever you want, right? Yeah. yeah. I've got boxes coming together for people that have larger amounts of money. The same thing we're doing boxes of the Morgan dollars, you know, 20 coins in mm -hmm. a box at 100. Good. So, let's go over that again. So, we have $20 gold piece in St. Gardens. And they're really nice ones you've picked out. And you think that yes. uh, this Beautiful year, uh, below, it's less under uh, whatever, pre-1933, right? And, uh, Correct. $2,500 a coin. But these are really nice coins, huh? And then the silver yep. dollar Morgans, MS-64, that's Mint State, 64, 1878 through 1920. And those are $125 each. You can buy those in boxes, Correct. Too. And they're also very bright, lustrous coins because I, I was able to look through... Uh, I think I went through 700 that were graded and only picked out about 400 coins. Uh, I wanted only to get those, oh, we call them you. bright white. You know, they're really lustrous. There are a lot of them that are properly graded, but they have a, you know, a toning quality. Sometimes that's very attractive. Sometimes it just adds sort of a grayish, sort of diminished brightness to the coin. Mm -hmm. So I've screened those out. So what we have are the, the bright white ones, and they're extremely, people who've gotten them have been, really kind of impressed that a hundred-year-old coin can look that nice. They oh. look like they were minted a month ago. I mean, they're really fabulous. So w when people go to sell these five years from now or 10 or whatever, um, those kinds of things, those aesthetic values add to the uh, the value of the coin, this resale value? Oh, no question about it. Because no. over no. time, it gets harder to find, you know, properly graded ones and nicer looking ones amongst mm -hmm. the supply that's left. And the way I look at it now if you had a horribly worn out Morgan dollar, I mean, a, a crappy circulated coin that grandpa might have left you in a drawer that's dark and discolored and circulated, really worn out, they're worth 35 bucks a coin. Are they? You know, I mean, even for a circulated one. So it costs almost $30 to put a coin in a holder. And these are MS-64s at 125 So I think they're ridiculously cheap. And they will appreciate both as the price of silver goes up because that filters up like a domino impact. The silver goes up, then the circulated Morgan goes up, and the one slightly better goes up, and so on up the line. But the higher-grade ones tend to increase a little bit more quickly in value mm -hmm. and hold their value as well going forward. And this is something you could sell 100 coins or one at a time. So it allows for a lot of flexibility.
Doesn't matter. Fred's number is 800-878-2646. You can call him today and say hi and talk to him and tell him we sent you. Well, Fred, thanks a lot. We appreciate you being here, as always, on the first uh, Wednesday of each month. What's the weather Great like? To be here. I can't believe the month has gone by so quickly. What's it the just weather seems like, like I was in, on a- in, in Hilton Head? You guys in nice weather? Uh, this is a really great time of year here. We're breaking out of the summer heat, which mm. is usually horrendous. Uh, it wasn't terrible this year. We got a lot of rain, so that kind of helped. Right now, we're in this uh, kind of transition period where the temperature is still really high. I mean, it was in the mid-90s yesterday, but it's beginning to tail off a little bit more every day. And we get these uh, afternoon thunderstorms just about every day this time of year that last maybe anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour it just like will pour like crazy out of nowhere and then 15 minutes later you won't see a cloud in the sky it's mm. strange but we, that's the kind of weather we get around here but this is a great time of year down here october november i think are the most beautiful months on hilton head cool okay brother thank you take care of yourself let us know if we can help with anything if you need any coffee or sugar or <laughs> ammo give me a call i'll let I'll hook you up. See you, see you, Fred. Bye-bye. Fred Josefsky, Patrick Timpone, and the real world of money. Good stuff, baby. Good stuff. Uh, okay, so we're going to take a little break here, and I think we're going to we'll see you on Friday. On, on Friday. On Friday. On Friday. On Friday. Ten o'clock. We had a couple things on sale. We have the. Uh, what do we have on sale? What do we have on sale? We have Sir Thrivo Shaga and Rishi. That's cool. We got it on sale, and it's the promo code Adapt Now. Adapt Now Shaga and Rishi on Sir Thrivo. That's on sale. So that's fun. That's a good thing. I think uh, we have the tail end of a little claustrum on sale as well. Let's see if that's true. True, true, true. Oh, uh, no. That went off yesterday. Uh, we doing, uh, uh, We have a nice sauna that we could uh, provide you for $1,295. And that's the lower 48. The um, hydrogen machine is on sale. Promo code 1RADIO. That'll get, you, that'll get you a wonderful Browns Gas hydrogen machine. So that's that's a good one, right? Twenty percent for that guy, and then um, what else do we have special? That's about it right now. All our stuff special. So, Doctor Fred, let us know if uh, if he can help you, and uh, if you have any questions about that. And I will see you on Friday. Okay. Take care of yourself. I love y'all. Thank you. Good job. Thanks. Oops. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.